Kim Sujawalski, and I'm your host here at the Brownwell Podcast, a place in which every week we talk about delicious food, about making more vegan choices no matter where you are along the way. And because food is never just about the food, I'll support and guide you to a happier, kinder, and more mindful relationship with that wonderful moment of eating. Are you ready? Lace up those trainers if you're going for a walk or grab a cup of coffee, get comfy on the couch, and listen in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bramble Podcast. I am so happy to have you here today. Today, we have such a special episode. And before we get started, just a little announcement and housekeeping. We have started our summer sale at Bramble. So if you've been thinking of joining any of our courses or our membership, just remember that you can go right now to bramble.com. You're going to find a bar at the very top with all the details of our sale. So make sure to check that out. I am so happy to be here today to share part one of our last two episodes of season nine of the podcast. In our very first episode of the season, which was episode 200, we had the very first interview in our podcast's history with none other than my dear friend and clinical psychologist, Verena Kaczynskis, on the wounds behind perfectionism. She opened the season, helped us celebrate our 200th episode, and now she is back to bring the season to a close, this time with a half interview, half conversation between best friends on grief and the grieving process. This is an episode Verena and I have been plotting and planning for months, and we both come into it without filters. And as much as I tried to keep dry eyes throughout the episode, I was very unsuccessful, as you'll see. But it is such a powerful and vulnerable conversation, and and Verena just... Oh my goodness, she comes with so much insight and so many personal stories as well. This episode, which I like to think of as two friends walk into a bar and talk about grief, is raw, honest, and it is meant to bring you support if you are grieving, if the passing of a loved one is near, if it has been a long time since you lost someone and have had a difficult and prolonged grieving process. And it is also for anyone grieving any type of loss other than from the death of a loved one. It could be that you are grieving the end of a relationship, the loss of a friendship, estrangement from family members, your kids moving away from home, the loss of a job or business, that you are grieving a dream that hasn't come to pass or that didn't happen for you, the loss of youth, the loss that comes from seeing your body change through the years, the loss of health, and any other circumstance when grieving can take place. As you know, I've had a lot of losses due to death of loved ones throughout my life. Most happened uh, one after the other in the span of a few short years at a very young age. And Verena comes to this conversation with the most candid and open hearted vulnerability, talking about her divorce after 13 years of marriage right before the pandemic hit. 
What I loved about this conversation was that even though I have experienced grief firsthand and I feel I've grown to understand it more and more with every loss, Verena explains grief from that perfect intersection between lived experience and her incredible professional experience as a therapist. And I learned so much from this conversation. When I finished recording the episode you're about to listen to, I was sitting with my husband, Carlos, having dinner. And when he asked me how the recording went, the first thing I said was, it was the episode I wish I had had when I first went through this. And that is exactly what I wanted to give you, a resource, a lifeline, something to grab onto if you're struggling with grief, or an episode you could share with someone you know who is grieving. Because as you'll hear in this episode, grief has so much to do with a feeling of loneliness. And I wanted you to know that you are most certainly not alone in the sadness or the conflicting feelings or the guilt or the regret or the anger or the numbness. Verena Kaczynskis is a clinical psychologist and researcher. For the past 13 years, she has been integrating the concepts and techniques from psychology and a healthcare system called Body Talk, seeking to deepen and expand therapeutic results for her patients. Currently, she has been splitting her time between seeing patients and developing content to both educate and encourage self-observation, always with the premise of sharing resources that people can use in their own internal organization processes. You can connect with Verena through her website, verenakasinskis.com, and you're going to have all of the links in the show notes right here in your podcast player and at brownball.com. And you can also connect through her Instagram page at Verena Kaczynskis. And her website is so easily translated to English, as you'll see. She is tuning into this conversation from Brazil. But with the click of a button, you can translate both on Instagram and when using your browser. And you can contact her. You can find out about her courses and her work, book a consultation, and so much more. As you'll hear, even though she is... She was born and raised in Brazil, and that's where she calls home. She is absolutely fluent in English, Portuguese, and Spanish. But above all else, she is one of the most insightful, professional, dedicated, sensitive, and wonderful people I know. I am so grateful to have her in my life. So get ready. We're going to get into it. But before we get started, here's a note from our sponsor for today's show. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Green and Experience, a wonderful Etsy shop selling the most amazing products for a safe and plant-based alternative to doing laundry. Stop using dryer sheets and liquid fabric softeners and stop using wool or plastic dryer balls. As our listeners know, both Gatos and I put so much effort into incorporating more zero waste products into our cleaning and self-care routines and especially trying to incorporate more products that are made from natural ingredients, skipping the chemicals that can come in so many mass-produced cleaning products and beauty products and that are in contact with our precious skin and can also get in the water supply and be harmful to the environment and animals. Laundry detergents, dryer sheets, and fabric softeners are huge sources of these problems and can even contain animal products like wool and animal fats. 
and using plastic dryer balls is another source of environmental damage. I, for one, stopped buying fabric softener years ago and could only find a replacement for natural laundry detergents, but softeners were so much harder to get. But now I'm so excited to have discovered the handmade hemp dryer balls created by Green and Experience. All the goodness and benefits of the raw hemp in a dryer ball, all natural, reusable, plant-based, non-toxic, antibacterial, hypoallergenic, organic, and safe to use for babies, infants, pets, and how much I care about my fur babies and people with sensitive skin. Order them today on Etsy.com by visiting their shop, Green and Experience, all one word, or use the link you'll find right here in your podcast player and in the show notes and have them shipped right to your door. Get 10% off with the limited time promo code BROWNBOLT10, all in all caps. That's promo code BROWNBOLT10 for 10% off. Order them for your family and find peace of mind. Hi, V. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Kim. Thanks for bringing me back, for inviting me again. I was looking forward for this one. I am so excited. You are, you were our first ever guest at the podcast. Now you are our first ever return guest. And uh, I'm just so excited because we've been planning on having this episode together for a while. Yes. yes. And we're going to talk yeah. about just a, a difficult topic. And I just, I'm so grateful to you for sharing the space with me because it's always a, it's always a tough topic for me, but I think it's going to help so many people. And I can't wait to have some of your professional expertise and some of your personal expertise, because you're one of the most incredible people that I've ever met. So there um. you go. Thank you. And you have so much to teach also about this, right? You have been talking, you, you um, helped me so much when I was grieving two years ago. So I, 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 what I was thinking is people should um, hear what you have to say also. Aww. So, yeah. Thank you, V. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I've been through it for sure. <laughs> and I think the best way to start this conversation is, I want to ask you a question that I kind of already know the answer to, but one of the most just life-changing conversations that you helped me so much with, I, I can still remember like it was yesterday. I remember where I was when I was recording some voice notes that I sent to you and you were sending some to me back. And I was just describing how I was feeling. And I really felt that I was going out of my mind. I felt th this feeling that I couldn't put my finger on. I couldn't recognize that I wasn't functioning. And I'm going to, we'll describe more about the specifics in a second. But I remember that I described it to you. And in one second, in one second, you said, that's grief. You just described grief to me and the grieving process. And it has been years. I've had a, a journey with grief that has been <laughs> just happening for decades because my grief process was traumatic and problematic in many ways. And it sort of hit me many years after the fact. And it had been years and I had been going through grief. I had gone through grief many times and I could still not recognize the signs when it hit me and you were the first person to tell me this thing you just mentioned, this thing you just described, that's what grief 
sounds like. And immediately I felt relief because I could now label it. You always tell me we have to name things. We have to call things by their name. And it helped me so much. So my first question, this is a long, <laughs> long way to ask you this question, but my first question is, what does grief feel like? In my field, the psychology field, we have a lot of, we don't have one definition for emotions, feelings, right? And the one I like the, the best is the one that the Chinese medicine gives to each of the five um, main emotions that they have in their system when they're working, you know, acupuncture, the Chinese, the TCM, the traditional Chinese medicine. So they talk about joy, anger, fear, worry, and grief. For them, grief is like, you know, just... Picture, you can picture the, expand, the, the movement of expansion and then contraction, right? When you're very expanded, you're like in summertime, it's, you're, it's joyful, the sun is out, it's warm. And then when you're, when you're at the maximum of the expansion, you, you only have one way to go. You have to begin contraction again. Winter is the maximum contraction you can have. There's five stages and five emotions. And grief is the beginning of the contraction. So it's, it's going towards the center. Your grief feels like going inwards, right? You're not having conversations all the time. Because when you're worried, worried you want to speak about what's happening. You want to talk, you need to understand what's happening. Grief feels like going inside and feels like, like missing something. Something, is, something has ended. That's one of the ways that you know they're grieving something because something has ended, right? But it feels like, um, yeah, like a cave, like going somewhere inside, And there's always or should have, it should be a lot of tears. I could say maybe that all of the patients that I have seen in my uh, clinical practice who came with anxiety um, or panic attacks, anxiety attacks, I, all of them, you can trace back to grieving, like grief that wasn't elaborated or it was denied. So the other thing that they say in the Chinese medicine that I think it's so simple and so interesting is that you have to go through the process because you can't expand again if you haven't contracted the cycle, right? So yeah, it feels like going inwards, go, it feels like being alone and going and looking towards the center of yourself. I love that way of defining it. And I can definitely connect with that sense of being alone. There's this loneliness, even when you're surrounded by other people, even when yeah. maybe the person that has been lost, and this can be due to death or the end of a relationship, the end of a friendship, estrangement, any 
so many forms of and and, and shapes of grief that we we're going to get into. But even when it's not someone you saw every day, even when you're surrounded by your immediate family and at home, things are, you know, you're surrounded by people. There is this internal loneliness that is present. It's so present and you, yes, you feel so alone. And I just, I remember that day I sent you those, those voice memos on, you know, iMessage or whatever. (laughs) I was just walking around. It had been weeks since I had lost the, um, you know, the person I had lost. And I just could not function. I was doing things. I was going through my to-do list. I was going to work. But inside, I wasn't functioning. I felt a lot of numbness a lot of loneliness, and I would burst into tears, like with a snap of fingers, because I was taking something out of the refrigerator and nothing was happening. I wasn't thinking of this person. I wasn't, uh, you know, it, it just kind of poured out of me without any warning. And I felt that I was losing my mind. And you said, well, that, that those tears that come out of nowhere, that is such a typical thing. And I, I also find it so interesting that you talk about how anxiety can be traced back to grief. I have never heard of it described like that, but it definitely makes sense. And I also think that grief can look like so many other things. It can feel like so many other things. Grief can be addictions. Grief can be binging. Grief can be an eating disorder. Grief can be you know, excessive shopping, all of these things that do have anxiety so linked to them. So I find that so interesting. I had this patient, she was having panic attacks and she came to me and we were, you know, I was, it was the first time I was seeing her. So I was, I was asking about her life and she was very, she was like very joyful, very, you know, always smiling like a happy person, she was happy, but she had this thing in her history that she lost in the period of time of like, I think in two months, she lost her father and her, two months after that, her sister um, committed suicide. So, and she said, she said this to me. I didn't let, look at this, I didn't let anyone cry in my father's funeral because he was a happy person and I I wanted everybody to be happy. And I said, you haven't cried your father's uh, death from like five, six years ago? And she, she, she said, no. Wow. So the next session, I was prepared for that. And we started, you know, talking about it and then that woman just started sobbing sobbing a lot she she spent like 20 minutes crying 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 and after that she didn't have any other panic attacks so it's uh it's something that is contained that just needs to come out and it comes out in, in in the form of tears i can so relate to your patient when my mother died 
and that's been one of the greatest losses of my life. The, the most, and also the most complicated process of grief that I've gone through for many reasons. Very, a big source of traumatic grief and, and unresolved grief that went on for many years until I finally uh, looked for help. And I remember that my mother passed away. We were in another country. We were in the U.S., but we had been living in Venezuela in our home. And Carlos was waiting for me back in Venezuela. When I returned after my mother had died, I remember he greeted me at the airport and he said, oh my gosh, you look, you look okay. Like I wasn't expecting you to be, to look like this. You seem, you seem okay. And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And my mother's nurse who had traveled back with me because she had gone with us and traveled back with us, she approached him and I, I heard her and she said, she cries at night and, and she's not okay. And that was true. And that was the moment I found out that the secret that it was the only time when I was completely alone that I let my feelings come out and that I let myself cry. I thought no one knew about that. <laughs> and suddenly I realized, okay, so she heard me and, and, and now Carlos knows that this is the vulnerable time for me. And I just, I have tears in my eyes just remembering that. And that was only a brief period of time. And there was a moment when I got back, when I just shut off and there were no more tears and there was no more looking into and, 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 and thinking about her. And I just completely tried to block out those feelings. And I suffered for many years until I finally decided to go in there. And then there, there was grief of so many kinds because I was grieving the loss of her and and not having her in my life, but I was also grieving the many things that happened throughout her illness, which was all of my life. Um, so it's, it's so complex, complex and complicated, and it's so easy for us to escape it. And I think that's why you just described why it is so important to understand that grieving is a process. It's not like an emotion, like anger. It's like, mm. I mean, grief, it is an emotion, but grieving is a process. You go through stages and it can last for years, not because you're not doing anything, not because you're not grieving, but because it has so many layers, right? And I remember, I, I haven't, I, I uh, when I, in 2020, you know that, just before the pandemics, <sighs> I... I, I was separate. I got separated, got divorced from my husband of 13 years. And it was so hard, right? You just helped me through the whole process. And one of the things that I remember the most was that I was like, okay, so I'm a psychologist. I'm going to use this like a research slash personal <laughs> experience. <laughs> and so I remember that I said to myself, I am not going to run away from anything that I need to feel. And this, the crying, I remember that it was so intense and so painful. 
But if I, if I let it come and I just sobbed for a while, it, it would last like, I don't know, four or five minutes. And then I would have hours of calmness. But if I resisted the pain that came with the sobbing, with the cry, with the crying, if I resisted that, I would feel like miserable for the whole day. So then I started to, you know, give, give myself to the pain, to just surrender, surrender to the pain. It was hard, but it was... Um, that gave me the, now we, we always talk about this, like we have this intimacy with grief, right? We just know it so well. And I think it was because you, you, uh, had your experience, very intense experience with it. And I had mine and I didn't, I didn't resist. I was, I was like, okay, just come with all you got. Show me who you are. Show me how you are. And it, it's not um, it's not easy, but it was interesting to feel the process because you you said to me I, I always remember that you gave me so many I don't know necess- necessary advices. One of them was you said the grief comes in um, waves. Yeah. So it comes in waves. So you just feel something and then you're okay. And I would be, I remember one time that I was like, I I had this couple of friends. They said to me, let's go to the movies. And I was feeling okay. (laughs) But then like 40 minutes after that, I wasn't feeling okay anymore. (laughs) Out of this movie theater. Yes. 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 So I would cry and then I was, I wasn't crying anymore. I was happy. Then I was miserable again. Yeah, the waves, they, they, they get um, longer and then you have more time, you know, feeling better. But it's a very interesting process, that one of letting go. Because what, what you're doing is letting go of that, the attachment that you have with the person, with the idea, with the experience, right? Yes. And the reason why I love the wave analogy, and that's why you just described it so perfectly. That's why you feel like you're losing your mind. Because how can I be wanting to go to the movies, sitting down, I have my popcorn, I'm so happy, I'm happy to see my friends, and suddenly I cannot sit there another second, I need to get home, cry, eat ice cream, and just, (laughs) just wallow in, in this grief. And then maybe I'm laughing five minutes later and you feel you're going insane. But the wave I thought the I I felt with all of my experiences with all of the people that I have lost, that the wave was such a perfect way to describe grief, because you have when you think about a wave, you think of that moment in which the sea is calm and it starts gathering strength and it starts sort of that loop and you start to see it come up. And at that peak, at that peak of the wave where the surfer would be, you know, starting to get on that board, for example, the wave is at its strongest. It is at its highest. It is where if you were facing a a giant tsunami style wave, you would be completely freaking out and fearful because it's overpowering. It's overwhelming. Then it comes and it crashes and it creates all this foam and all of this, you know, 
you know, when you were a kid and you started rolling in, in the, in this yeah, wave that just yeah. crashed and it, it was just insanity. And that's sort of like that, you know, that crying, that just feeling so desperate. And then what happens to the wave is it, it just arrives on the shore, like very slowly, calmly, it reaches the feet of the people that are on the beach and then it just dissipates. Yeah. And that's what it's like. And you just have to ride the wave. That's what grief has taught me. And that's yeah. why I kept saying, like, remember the wave, remember yeah. the wave, yeah. the wave helps. Yeah. Now, we've all heard that there are stages in the grieving process. I wanted to ask you what those are. And if you could just give us like some brief examples, just so, so we can understand those stages of grief. So I think that the first person that listed them and studied them was Elizabeth Kleber Ross, like right, the psychiatrist. And so she, it's for me, it's interesting <clears throat> to understand before anything that they are they, they are stages, but th you don't have to end one to start the other one. They sometimes they come together. Sometimes they come. I don't know. You know, you go through one, then you go back to the other one, right? But they are very interesting, and they are very. It's I I know that it helped me a lot to understand them, so I could name what I was feeling, right? Yeah. So there are five stages. Um, now they're talking about the a sixth one. And it's very interesting also, but I'm going to talk about the five main ones. The first one is denial. And I think it's very important to understand that when you're talking, people tend to think that you're talking about denying the death or denying the breakup. It's not that. You're denying the feeling, the emotion, because you have to. You have to, you need, to, because when it, when it comes, you're not waiting for it or you're not prepared for it. You need a couple of days. You need some, you know, some days to, to breathe and to prepare yourself to enter the process, the grieving process, right? So for some, so the, it's what happens right after the event when you're, you're like numb, you're a little numb. It can last for days. It can last for weeks, of course. But I, for me, I see that it tends to last like for some days. And the, like the, the harder, the main part of the denial stage. And then you go through, you know, you feel it. Then you deny, then you, you, you try to run away from it, then you feel it again. But we are always talking about the emotion, not the event. Okay, some people deny the event. I was with, uh, I had this very interesting experience once with um, some family member, a family member of my ex-husband. And she, the, the mother had died, not his mother, the mother of the, that person. And we, are, we were at her funeral. And one of the daughters was like, mom is only sleeping. She, she, looks, she oh. looks so peaceful, right? She's, she's sleeping. And at first I thought she was, you know, like joking maybe. 
But then I, I realized she wasn't. She spent some, you know, like two or three hours like denying what she was seeing with her own uh, eye. So that was very interesting. But wow. usually we're denying the feeling, right? So it's because of that that we can prepare a funeral, for, for example. It's, uh, now I see that when I, my ex-husband and I, we were traveling, right? So I had to come back home after the event. And we just, we broke up there. I came home, he stayed. And that, now I know that I, and I didn't really feel this, the, you know, the pain until I was home. And now I know that it was because I, I needed to come back. I needed to, you know, buy a ticket, you know. Right. Yeah. The bureaucracy, the bureaucracy of loss. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first uh, stage. And I, I really like to emphasize that this is, this is a protection from this, you know, from our, our psyche to, you know, to help us begin the process. Then comes anger. And for some people, it is not so easy to feel anger. For me, it was the last, the last stage was anger. So, yeah. but usually um, her studies and studies from other psychologists and other um, researchers, researchers that came after her, they say, yeah, anger is the second one, and you're angry. Again, sometimes you're angry with a person, you know, why did you have to have to die? Or why did I have to, you know, lose my job? Or, But anger, it's, I see that anger is also something that people feel towards the experience. You know, I don't want to be feeling like this. Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. I have an, I have an interesting experience with anger. I, when my, and this has happened to me with every single death that has happened. My, my experience with grief has always been with the death and, and, and the physical loss of somebody. Uh, but of course I think this applies to whether you're talking about the loss of a marriage, a relationship, a job, a, a dream. Uh, uh, we'll talk yeah. about all of that. But every single time I have gone through loss, I, it's almost as if my mind has picked one person that had nothing to do with what happened. And I have been enraged at them. Yeah, every single time. And it's, yeah. it's because of the most ridiculous things. Like, I, I don't know. With each time, it has been a different excuse. But just a tiny thing that someone said or, you know, they didn't call me or they, they disappeared okay. on me on, in a difficult time or, uh, I don't know. It could be anything. It could be that they came to my house and they didn't use a coaster when they were drinking. <laughs> it could be anything. Not something as silly as that. But I would just become obsessed with the anger I suddenly felt. And I have realized now, many years after going through this again and again, that it's simply because it was an easy outlet. For me, anger is the most difficult feeling to feel. I, am, I have never been connected to it. I, I, 
I remember stories of my childhood and of being a sort of sometimes angry kid and how much that was put down. And so I learned to live my life with, without it. I, I always said like, no, 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 no. Like you can't, you can't be angry. And so that has been a lifelong struggle of trying to reconnect with it because anger has its purpose. Of course, it helps protect us. It helps protect boundaries, all of these things. Right. And every single time I've lost someone, something has happened that I've gotten angry at somebody. And now the good thing is that I can recognize it and I can see that it's just a placeholder for, for the anger of grief. And so I don't take it out on the other person. I don't <laughs> think I've ever really taken it out. But I have had conversations with friends in the past where I just let my anger loose. And I, I regret that because the thing that happened was small, but what I was feeling was immeasurable. And that's how it managed to come out. Not proud of it. <laughs> it's so interesting, right? It's so beautiful how our, I mean, how our, the whole um, psychological mechanism of, you know, you have to let it out. And sometimes you just find a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like the best way yeah. for you is maybe it's not the best way of doing it, but it's, it has to come out. It's so yeah. interesting. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. And, and sometimes I, I, especially with my most recent losses, I haven't told the other person. I've just let myself feel anger. And then it, after a few weeks, it's just gone. And, and I realize, okay, they really didn't do anything. This is all me. But it's, it, it's been impossible to control. It's happened each and every time. <laughs> Yeah. So we've got denial. We've got anger. What's the next one? Bargaining is the other one. I, I always see these stages towards the feeling, right? So yeah, you can bargain with the, your ex to, no, just, just let's go back. Just, but it's not because, it's because you don't, you don't want to feel the grief. You're always... Right. So that's why I, I like to see that the center, like, like the main character here is grief and your grieving process. And you don't want to be there because it's uncomfortable. It's painful. It's not a place that you would be if you, if you could choose. Right. So again, here you're trying to, you know, get out of the, of the feeling how this is where people sometimes go to like, I don't know, um, do you hear sometimes people saying, well, I was, I was feeling so much pain, then I started running, and you know, it's good that you're, it's good that you're, you know, um, channeling your energy towards, but if you're doing it because you don't want to feel the, the, the grief, then you're, you know, you're, you're running away from it. But here also, oh yeah, you, can, you, so, you want to say something? I, I, I just wanted to ask you, so bargaining, for example, in the case of, of grief due to someone's death or passing, it can be, that, that is an example of it. So trying to say, okay, I'm going to try this new thing. I'm going to put my energy in this new thing. So I don't feel this thing or what are some other examples of bargaining when it comes to dealing with the passing of someone? Well, there's the magical thinking that uh -huh. all of us have had, like 
maybe, maybe, maybe if I do something, maybe she could, you know, come back or maybe if I, bargaining sometimes feels like, or, or yeah, looks like going back in your mind and thinking, if only I, you know, if only I didn't, if I, if only I had called him, um, you know, more times I have for some, you know, this last couple of years they have been so hard and here in brazil the situation is so intense and i have lost three friends to they they killed themselves and i one of the first thing that you think is why didn't i call him like last week when i thought about him yeah and that feels like you know that that is something you can do in this stage you're, you're like, if only I, you know, you try to go back and do something different if, to try to, you know, change destiny. Yeah. That is, that is one very common um, thing so that happens common. here. But the other one, yes, I see, I always say that you, if you're, I mean, it's not a problem if you want to channel your energy to like, you know, cooking or running or whatever. But if you're doing that to avoid uh, making contact with the, you know, the thing that you need to elaborate there, then you're, yeah, then it's not so good. Yeah. Because, yeah, then you're, I, I had this patient also. Her parents died, like, in a, like, the same thing, like, in an interval of a few months. She lost her mother, then she lost her father. And that was 10 years before the session she was having with me. But she would talk about, she would, she would describe me, uh, them, like they were here like last month. At some point I, I asked her, when did they die? And she was like, no, 10 years ago. But she would talk about them like they were, like she, um, and this for me, I interpreted after a, a lot of sessions with her when I, you know, got to know her and to know her grieving process, I interpret. I interpreted that she was still in this third uh, stage, the bargaining stage, because their, um, their bedroom was, you know, exactly the same. Like they were going to come back from, a, like, I don't know, from a long trip or something. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't ready to just accept that they were really, really gone forever. To me, that's one of the most interesting stages of all to the stages. Yeah. That there is so many strange things. Um, Joan Didion, who wrote The Year yeah. of Magical Thinking, which I know we're going to talk about when we recommend books uh, to the listeners and, and, and such. She talked about keeping her husband's shoes. Yes. Because she just had this. She knew it was impossible, but she also knew she had to keep the shoes in case he came back. I kept my mother's glasses and the blanket that used to cover her in her wheelchair. Uh, It's so universal and it's something we keep so private. And we're all going through this when we go through the loss of someone, this, this holding on, it's this, if I have this, then she's not totally gone. Yes. And uh, yeah, so interesting. Because if you think about it, it's too big. I mean, forever like someone is yeah. gone forever how yes. do your brain 
understand that it doesn't i mean no. forever it's how does how, how does your brain extend, understand that it's too i mean huge a concept to for us to grasp so you need time that's yeah. why the rituals like the funeral they're so important because you see the person i had my one of my i my grandmothers she i had two one of one of them my my dad's mom she died in the middle of the pandemics in sao paulo and i live in brasilia so we couldn't go she hadn't she didn't have a funeral and we couldn't go there and i it, so it was so crazy because i knew she was dead but i didn't had the experience of a ritual i didn't see her i didn't so the first time i went to sao paulo after that I was like going to call her because yeah. that's what, what I used to do when I was there. And then I realized, oh my God, she's not here. And it took me longer to like, to, I don't know, to understand her death than, than the one, than if I had gone to her funeral. Right. Right. So rituals are important. Yeah. Let's take a quick ad break and we'll get right back to our conversation with Verena. Looking for a vegan, cruelty-free, and non-toxic way to do laundry? I'm so excited to have partnered up with today's sponsor for the podcast, Green and Experience. You have no idea how many brand requests we get for sponsorships of the podcast, you guys. And sadly, it is rare that brands or companies align with our values at Bramble, and we say no to most sponsorships because of it. So I got so excited when I saw the chance to help promote a vegan and environmentally conscious small business, especially when I'm looking for ethical and safe personal care products and especially cleaning products for my home. Introducing their reusable, handmade, non-toxic, organic, and zero-waste dryer balls. They are not only beautiful to look at and impeccably packaged and designed, but they are antibacterial, hypoallergenic, safe for babies, infants, pets, and people with sensitive skin. Just in case you're new to using dryer balls, they are wonderful to pop in your dryer with your clothes, preventing laundry from clumping together as the balls tumble along with your laundry, reducing drying time, fighting wrinkles in your clothes, preventing static and more importantly giving your clothes sheets and towels a wonderful soft feel and skipping the chemicals and pollutants found in commercial dryer sheets and fabric softeners it is the perfect reusable kind vegan and environmentally safe alternative to doing laundry order them today and have them shipped right to your door and get 10% off with a limited time promo code brownbolt 10 all in all caps that's Bramble 10 for 10% off. Shop at Green and Experience, one word, on Etsy.com or use the link you'll find in your podcast player and in the show notes. What comes after bargaining? Then you have depression. You're going through a depression process when you're grieving also, right? It's like it is there. For me, this stage is like it's happening together with the other ones. But in the book, they say that, yeah, this is something that after when you're when you know that you can't there's nothing more to ask for or you can't deny anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. So then when you realize it, you, you know, you go to the depression phase, yeah. which is very important also because depression can be like uh, illness 
or depression, you, you go through, so we all go through some phases of a little depression in our lives when we lose things or yeah. people or, you know. And so this is a very important one. For me, this is the one when you're, you know, in the contraction phase, when you're mm -hmm. really there and you have time, the, the pain is not so strong anymore. So now you have time to begin to let things organize themselves inside mm -hmm. of you, right? And then you have acceptance, which is, yeah, when you're, and you can be in this stage and still go through another layer of the other ones. There's, they will never be so, like, so strong and heavy, like, pain, painful, like the first time. You can go to other layers of them. Yeah. And acceptance doesn't mean that you're, you're like perfectly fine again that it just means that you have your psyche have accepted your your whole psychological equipment ha has gone through the process and now can say okay i understand what's happening what happened that's that's the best definition of psyche that i've ever heard your entire psychological equipment that's yes. wonderful <laughs> yeah uh, this is this is so great to understand this and have examples. So denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, and they don't have to happen in that order, right? You know what I'm seeing? I don't know how it is for you, but I remember when we were in the first um, months of the pandemics in to, to, uh, 2020, I remember that a lot of podcasts, a lot of um, magazine articles were talking about the grieving process that we were all going through. But for me, in, in my patients, and I kept seeing them, I kept working through the whole thing, right? From home, but I was working. The, they wasn't, I mean, they're having their grieving process now. Now that, that we, are, we are ready to go back to the world and we're, you know, going to a different world, now I see that the grieving process is really happening. Because when we were going through that, well, of course, with the exception of people who lost loved ones, right, for, to, yeah. to the, the virus. But um, they were like, the, se the sessions were, were about, I don't know, working from home, taking care of the kids. They were like, you know, you have to survive. So they were talking about those things. Now, like since the beginning of this year, when things started to go back to normal and they started, we, we started to go back to the world, then the grieving for me, in, in my clinical, in my clinic, began, for the people, then the, the grieving began. They were, you know, talking about the world that wasn't there anymore, about the things that they were missing from what they had during the pandemics, all these kind of things. So it's interesting, right? I wasn't expecting that. No, you would think that if it's if there's one time when when grief is going to come out, it's when we're all locked up inside and we don't have distractions. And yeah. and yeah, and I think that's probably just a survival mechanism of ours. We can't handle everything at once. And the pandemic was in itself a, a, a very just 
world shattering thing. It just shook us, everybody. Yeah. Um, now, V, I wanted to ask you, is there such a thing as traumatic grief? Is there grief that can go for too long or, or, or for a length that is problematic? How does, I mean, what name can you put to that? Because in my case, at least with the biggest moment of grief, which was losing my mother at a young age, it was extremely difficult and it, it lasted for a very long time. And I only let myself really feel it many years after the fact. So just wanted to ask you about that. And do you feel like that? The, so that was traumatic, they, like the grieving was traumatic? That's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think the, the, it, it just became this chronic thing that was living by my side throughout all of these years. And so much of my actual real life during those years was sort of in the shadow of that in a way. And it made life a lot harder. And especially after a certain period of time has passed and everybody expects you to now be fine still knowing that that was there sort of unchallenged unobserved but just oh it's like a, a little shadow that would follow me it was hard it was very hard and of course the the just the the loss feeling the loss many years later really getting in there was very traumatic and our life together was very traumatic but it, yeah the grief itself had had a bit of that okay that's interesting i I mean, this is the first time that, I, that I'm thinking about grieving like a traumatic process. But, you know, when you, when you say it, I think, tell me if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think the grief, I mean, the, the process is not traumatic. But I, because, of it, because of the length or I think maybe the trauma was before that. Because yes. the, you know, the event or the experience before it was so traumatic, then it makes it like affect the process after. Yes, that's exactly it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it wasn't that I was stuck in the depression stage or in the bargaining uh -huh. stage and I was just crying all day and that just prolonged itself for years and years. Absolutely not. I was a functioning human. Yeah, I was yeah. doing everything. I was working. I was... But there was this thing that I couldn't shake every day that was accompanying me. And yeah, it was probably unresolved trauma yeah. mixed in with the, the fact that I had no resolution for it because the person was no longer there to talk through this with, to just, um, yeah, the loss was very, very big. I remember when I was in my in the university when i was studying psychology i i just got very interested in the incarceration um mm -hmm. theme right yeah so yeah. i spent like two semesters studying that and really thinking about doing you know some kind of work here in brazil the the prisoner uh, system is so I don't know, it's, it, it, it's, it's not a safe place to be, even if you're a researcher, right? And I was just a yeah. girl. I was like 22, I don't know. So I didn't have the 
courage to go through with it. But I, I spent some time studying it. And I remember reading a book about and talking about that, about the grieving process of the family members of the victims of people, you know, who were incarcerated. And mm -hmm. I remember that they did this research, this beautiful, it's, it, it was not only a research, it was like some kind of therapeutic, um, you know, work with both families, the family of the victim and the family of the murderer. And I remember one of, one thing that, I don't know, it was something that some of them repeated that going through the process of knowing that your loved one died in such a terrible way was very traumatic and the grieving process only resolved itself after they had an encounter with the mm -hmm. prisoner yeah I've heard that. I've heard about that. So the trauma was... So because I remember that because you were saying the grieving just stayed with you like a shadow, right? For them, yeah. it was the same because something... It was not about the loss of the person anymore. It was about something else that was there, right? Just clinging. And for them, it was this, this uh, anger with towards the person who had murdered and killed their loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Now, what about if a person is in that deep, deep sadness where they are crying every day, they're not being able to step out of that depression stage or what I assume would be the depression stage. When is a good time to seek help, seek support? When would be a time where it could go beyond what is considered I hate using this word, but quote unquote, normal grief and, and something that requires special attention. There's one thing before that I, I would like to say, and you helped me a lot with that also with understanding this, is that when we are grieving, we, are, we have to be very tolerant with ourselves, right? Very patient mm -hmm. with ourselves. I remember, I don't have it here, and I'm not going to look for it, I, but I have it by memory, kind of. I, there's a one page in my journal from that period where I just, I was writing how I was feeling, and the page came out something like that, with something like, um, I can't, I can't cook, but I can, like, I can't um, cook my dinner, but I can cook breakfast. I can prepare my breakfast. I can't like uh, clean my whole house, but I do have like energy, the energy to, I don't know, to clean my bedroom. And for me, it was very interesting because the grieving, because grief is what is the thing that helped me to understand my limits Because it's so painful and it takes so much energy that you can't overwhelm you, yourself with anything else. There's no space for anything else. So it, it just taught me about my limits. 
And then, and I, I, I think I, I really learned because I just brought this with me. And now I am a person who understand, I really understand my limits, my emotional limits, my physical limits, everything. So it's, it's important to understand that if you're feeling like this during the process, it's normal, right? But, you know, I think that I don't have an answer like in months or years, but I think that it's, if you're, if you're, if you're getting really depressed, that's not normal, right? You shouldn't be, if you're losing connection with your life and it's been for some months because I, I don't know, I would love to know how it was for you. Well, for you, it was a little different, longer. But I think that one year, one and a half years, it's normal. It's minimum. Two years for me, for people around me that I have uh, observed, some patients, two years is like it's what you should expect to last. Not the harder person. Uh, phase right you know to in order to really really let it go yeah but yeah some uh, like yeah at least one year of you know going back and forth back and forth back and forth with yeah, yeah I, I that's been my experience as well yeah that's been my experience as well and just to just a reminder for everybody that you can seek help for grief on day one Yes. And it will probably go in, go, th- you'll go through it even in an even smoother way. I think that sometimes we have this, this thing of going through hard things alone and there's, Don't do it. there's this whole profession of people and, and this team of people that are there for precisely those moments. And I wish that I had seeked help when this happened especially when the harder moments happened. And I didn't, I, I looked for help when it was unmanageable many years later and everything was coming out in other ways. So, yeah. And I'm so grateful that I had you to help me oh. and my psychologist, <laughs> yeah, my therapist, but you of all people, you know, mm. because you just, I no, I wouldn't have, have survived it without you. I, I don't know what I would have done in my prop. My, I'm going to talk about this towards the end of the episode a bit more, but I don't know what I would have done without you. Because even though my family members, most of them had passed before I even met you, everything in my grief process has been sort of delayed. (laughs) Everything Uh started coming out around the time you and I became friends. And that f- feeling of having somebody by your side yeah. that witnessing, you can always witnessing, witnessing the, just, yeah. just witnessing going it, yeah. through it with you, even yeah. if they're not going through the exact same situation at the same time. But I mean that they are there with you. They're holding space for you. It can change everything. Yes. And, and when I did go through grief and loss while I was, uh, you know, already your friend, it changed everything. It was so helpful. It was so helpful to have somebody to talk about some of these things that I, I just could never did before. It went along s- so much easier. 
having someone by your side, it can change yeah. everything. Yes. Yeah. So this is a good segue to talk about what has helped. So you've gone through your grief process. I've gone through mine of different kinds, but loss is loss. Yeah. What has, I thought we would share, what has helped you during those times? And then I'll share what has helped me. And hopefully, hopefully we can give people lots of ideas and tools and practices and anything that comes to mind. Yeah. For me, I think I'm a little bit like you in this, well, in a lot of things, but in this also. For me, it was very helpful to, you know, look for podcasts and books I read again because I had read the, the book before the year of magical thinking it helped me because it was you know um, a way to relate to something and to feel that well what I was going through was just normal right so reading like getting information about the process going back to therapy on day one like I, mm -hmm. I came back from my trip and I was I had booked my first session already with my therapist. Having a network of people and people who could both respect when I said that I needed to be alone and get me out of my house when I mm -hmm. said that I wanted to still be alone. And they would come and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, coming, I'm coming over or, you know, we're going. Yeah. We're having lunch or something that was very important. So my sisters, they helped me a lot. So having people around, and I remember I would tell, I, I would call them and send a message to you and say, I remember I did this twice. I would have this in the beginning when I was really feeling all the things. I remember... Um, in some holidays in May or in June here in Brazil, we, I had three days to do nothing. And we were, we were in the beginning of the pandemics. Nobody was doing anything. So nobody was seeing anyone. And I, I had this like grieving camp with myself in my home. And I just told you, you know, I'm going to be like out of communication for three days. You can send me messages, of course, but I'm going to go through my process. And I told the same to my sisters. So you were aware, but I was, you know, going through my thing. And it was very important to have this network. So really looking yeah. for information, um, having this network, going to therapy. In my case, I, you know, I didn't. Some people, sometimes they need to take medication. But I, I have, I have, um, I, I have, I take flower therapy um, essences, and so I, I really, really helped me. And what else? I think, and having patience. Oh, and journaling, 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 mm -hmm. journaling. I was gonna say, like, you, you can't diss your friend. You can't diss your friend journaling and not mentioning it because I have been witness to how much it has helped. Uh, yeah. What about you? Yeah. Um, oh my goodness, so many things. So therapy, number one, there is nothing to substitute it. No way, no matter how many great advice-giving friends you have, 
going through your own therapeutic process in the sort of framework of therapy, there's nothing that can substitute that. No amount of books or self-help or just anything. It, it has saved my life. Um, writing and different forms of writing. To me, it has been helpful. Journaling is a regular practice that I've had for years since I was a teenager. And that has been tremendously helpful. It's even helpful. No, I'm going to reframe that. I'm going to say it's especially helpful because when you go through grief again, because we all will, mm-hmm. you can go back to the earlier times you went through this and recognize its signs, recognize how it felt for you and realize that it's a normal part of the process. And that is the biggest source of relief. So I have this system where whenever I write a journal entry, I make a little mark at the top and I write grief, mom, body image, dogs, just relationship. And I can easily just pass through the pages or find a year and find a journal entry that is about that. And that has been a a lifeline for me. It's been so helpful. Uh, Writing just about, especially if it's someone who has passed or the end of a relationship, I think it would be hugely helpful. Just writing, even if you feel you write terribly, even if you don't, like, if you're not good at spelling, no one's going to read that. Or maybe someone will, and you'll you'll write the most amazing book that will reach a lot of people. You never know where those gems are going to come from. But writing out about the life you had together, the relationship, the details of that time. Because what happened to me was that after, you know, in the span of four or five years, I had lost most of my family, all of my nuclear family. So I had nobody to keep the memories there. There was nothing. And that was maybe the hardest part for me. And for me to go back and describe the picnic we all had in Central Park this one time or the day when we had this massive fight or the day in which this very traumatic thing happened or this time when we were all around my mom's hospital bed making jokes, to write that out and remember the, you know, colors of the curtains in the room, describe the light, describe the weather, describe what was happening. It has been just the most healing thing to be able to, 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 to really notice that whenever you need to, you can have them back. You can have these people back. And of course that has to be done with care. I couldn't do it immediately after my family passed but with time and, and after therapy, I've been able to go in there without it being so overpowering that it can be, that it can cause damage or, or, or it can be traumatizing. So just, you know, be careful there and, and do it with care. But it has just, it has brought parts of me back to life that I thought would just stay dormant after these losses. So that's been hugely helpful. And another type of writing that has been helpful has been writing letters to them. Okay. So saying, asking for forgiveness for things that I couldn't ask for, explaining things that I said that I felt very guilty about, telling them things that have happened in my life since then, 
because that's a huge part of loss when you've gone through it very early in your life. These people never saw you develop into the person that you are. So you want, you sort of really want them there and they can't be. So writing a letter can be very helpful in that, in that, uh, yeah, it's brings tears to my eyes just thinking about that. And it's very helpful. And I know it has helped a lot of people, uh, people just checking in is hugely helpful. And, and we'll talk a little more about what people can, you know, the things that people that you can say to someone who is grieving and how you can be there for someone who is grieving. We'll talk about that in a bit, but people that just sent me a text message or called and say, Hey, just wanted to see how you are, or I'm just, I want you to know that I'm here just to check in was so it meant, it meant the world. Um, something that a lot of people don't talk about that I didn't know about and I wish I had, so I'm going to say it. Stay away from social media on difficult days. So to this day, I have an alert on my phone before Mother's Day and I can't be on social media on Mother's Day. I can't be on social media on Father's Day. Um, There are certain moments, anniversaries, where I'm just in such a tender place that it's just not good for me. And it's just one day. You're going to get back to it. Mm-hmm. You're going to still find out, you know, who had a baby and who is doing this cool thing and <laughs> this new post of someone interesting you follow. You're still going to get back to that. But it's a self-protection thing that really has helped me a lot. Uh, books, and we'll talk about many books. Podcasts are so helpful. Um, what else? Reading and learning about the experiences of other people going through grief mm-hmm. and books are hugely helpful. Memoirs are hugely helpful for that. In fact, I think most memoirs have a component of loss in them. I think maybe 90% of memoirs, but also reading books from people who have, who have experience with people who are dying or have had terminal illnesses or who are in the process of death, people who are in palliative care and things like that. I honestly think that just like we learn about the beginning of life in school and how babies are made and all of this stuff, we also should learn something about the death process because there are certain particulars that stay with you after someone's death that you don't know unless you've read or heard these stories that are absolutely normal and that you can also, it can also help prepare to, to what to expect a little bit. So that has brought a lot of healing, especially after the fact I have held on to particular moments of guilt surrounding the night that my mother died. And two months ago, I heard this podcast episode with with someone who had um, was interviewing someone who has been in hospice care f- for most of their career, and they were talking about how some people in the moment of death wait to be surrounded by family members, and that's the moment when they pass, yeah. and how an equal number of people need to be alone in the room in the moment of passing. And this is something I've never shared before, but (laughs) I had been 
at my mother's bedside when she died, holding her hand the entire day without getting up, except for like, I don't know, going to the bathroom or something. And the second that she died, I stepped out of the room. Somebody called me outside. My uncle called me to ask me whether we should call my grandpa and tell him what was going on. And I stepped out. And I've held on to that guilt of not being there in that precise moment for 20 years. It has been one of the most horrible moments that have been stuck in my memory for years and years. And when I heard that two months ago, two months ago, oh almost 20 years after that night, wow. I, I realized some people need space. They cannot do it because I do think that, and, and you, you find out about this when you read a lot about the grieving process and about the process of death in, 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 in people and hospice workers and all of that. And you read how it really is a process of preparation. The body sort of knows how to do it and is in that process. And I, I know that you can probably speak to that as well, but when I heard this, I was like, of course, like for her to do that, when I am there watching it, like I can totally picture my mom saying like, no, like this needs to happen when she's out of here. Cause I'm not going to give her that moment. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that released me from that together with therapy. Cause I had a few sessions about it when I found out about this, that just released me like it, it was like someone took out a boulder that I was holding in my shoulders. I didn't know that. And so you find out about things like that by reading about loss yeah. and about end of life. And that has been hugely helpful. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know. People who sat with me, my dogs have been one of my biggest healers because they're unconditional love. They don't, they're not asking for that much. It's just like, you know, it's, you naturally want to give it to them. They're giving you unconditional love back. They have been essential. Having people next to you, Carlos has been, you know, my biggest companion throughout all my, he's been there from the first loss I have up until the, the most recent one and, 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 and still here with me. And you've been here with me and I couldn't have gone through all of this without you. Mm -hmm. And so having some people, having people on your side that you can call in the middle of the night when you're really struggling or leave a message and you know, they're going to get back to you and you know, they're going to listen. That has been hugely helpful. And just one thing that was absolutely not helpful and that I got from every single person the week after my mom died everyone. And I know that this comes from a good place. We all want to find a silver lining when someone is struggling, right? But every single person tell me, well, at least now she's no longer suffering. And I wanted to hold them by the ears and just like push them against the wall and tell them, you don't think I know that? <laughs> you don't think I haven't thought of that? That was not helpful for me because part of the suffering and part of the prolonging of my mother's life I knew had been because she was waiting for me to be of enough of an age to be independent and so 
people don't realize that when they say something like that, I am holding on to a part of that suffering. I am kind of maybe in some ways, yeah, it's sort of stuck with me. And we went through that suffering together. And it's also not a consolation because when you're going through loss, you just want that person to be there. So that was the one thing that was absolutely not helpful. And I know what, and I, I don't blame anybody who said that. People I love and still love to this day said that to me, <laughs> but it was not helpful. Just be there, listen, and yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> so that's a lot. <laughs> yes. And that is something that also brings me back to something that we, you and I, we're always, you know, discussing this, not, not the grief, but the other thing that I'm going to tell now that the difference, you know, between knowing something because you just have read about it, you have knowing something because you have lived it, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's something now I understand a lot of the things that some of my patients had gone through before I had gone through my own grieving process, right? And now it's easier to understand, well, easier said than done or you know those things yeah 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 amazing well i think this is going to be the end of part one everybody it's a good place to stop and next week we'll be back with part two here are some takeaways from my conversation with verena in part one of our conversation on grief grief and sadness are emotions but grief is also in itself a process It is a process of contraction, of going inwards, of feeling something that is missing or has ended. We've all heard of the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. It was so interesting to hear that it isn't only in relation to the death of a loved one or the event itself, but also to the feeling of grieving, to the feeling itself. It can look like denying that death happened, but also denying that we are struggling and grieving in and of itself. Bargaining, for instance, can look like the, if I had onlys, if I had only called that day, if I had only arrived sooner, if I had only stayed. And we can go in and out of these stages in any order, revert back, skip some, stay more time in some. It is a process and it takes each of us the time it takes us. The shadow of grief that doesn't let you go can be unresolved trauma, not only of the loss of a person, but of situations lived earlier. Know that help and support is out there and therapy is in a way a safe space to go through it with support. Because if there's one thing I've learned through this conversation, it's that there's no way through it than through. When we resist it, the suffering persists and grief requires surrendering to heal and soften with time. With every process of grief I've gone through, I've learned that With grief always come unexpected gifts, but Verena pointed out one that is essential in the process and that is so important. Grief can help you understand your limits. There are so many tools, resources, and support that can help us during a time of grief. 
therapy, journaling, writing, writing letters, having people on your side that are willing to bear witness and hold your hand through the process. There are countless books, podcasts, videos, and how important it is during that time to hear about other people's grief, to feel less alone. Grief and loss, whether due to death, separation, or an end to something, or the simple fact of something never arriving, is a hard, gut-wrenching, difficult process. It comes in waves, and we can learn to swim, surf, or sail in that open water, especially when we learn that it is such a universal shared experience, and that grief, in a way is also just love. It is the love we had for a person, for a pet, for a dream. Next week comes part two, everybody. You won't want to miss it. We talk about many other kinds of grief, about the toughest moments and how to get through them. We share specific books, titles, podcasts, resources. We see what grief can bring into our lives and how to embrace it, rebuild around it, and much more. A huge thank you to Verena for the gift that was this conversation. She is the Esther Perel of our podcast, or even better, she is the Verena Kaczynski's of our podcast, one of a kind, wise woman that she is. Make sure to check out her website, verenakasinskis.com. Connect with her through her Instagram at verenakasinskis. A huge thank you to our sponsor, the Etsy shop, Green and Experience, creators of one-of-a-kind, beautiful zero-waste products for a non-toxic and safe alternative when doing laundry. Tune in next week, everybody, for part two on grief. I'll see you then for the last episode in this season.